Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. Today's guest is Thomas Hubel, an incredible spiritual teacher and the author of Healing Collective Trauma. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. If you don't change things that we already feel we should change, or we feel called to change, if you're holding on to our job too long, or to a relationship that is toxic, or to whatever, because we're afraid to change, then it becomes stronger and stronger. And when the, the tension is too big, then we call it crisis, because then the system needs to rebalance itself through a painful process. But there's a conscious version of it too, which means we support each other in the change process and we create societies and environments that are actually supportive of change and create safety for change. And we can do that together if we invest in it. So says Thomas Hubel, one of the most incredible spiritually oriented teachers working in the trauma space today. Thomas primarily works with large groups where his process focuses on transmuting dark collective energy typically old, dense energy that's held by cultures and places. He has worked all over the world in zones where there is much dense despair, using a collective holding space to transmute and metabolize this energy, arguing that it's essential fuel for our evolution and growth. When we deny this energy's presence or refuse to acknowledge what's happened in humanity's past, we are stuck reliving these stories and patterns, not understanding where they even came from. The beauty of Thomas's work is that you don't need to be directly affected by these histories in order to help move and release them. He explains how this works in his book, Healing Collective Trauma, a process for integrating our intergenerational and cultural wounds. And we dive into the journey here. This conversation was very powerful and moving to me. It's one of my favorite on this podcast so far. So let's get to it now. Well, thank you for your book. I loved it. And I've read many, many books about trauma. And I felt like your articulation of what's happening on the emotional and spiritual level, this idea of this I think you maybe describe it as a fabric, but the way that these things are part of the collective consciousness, but even sort of baked into the soil of the earth and have to move was one of the most beautiful descriptions of it. And so maybe we start there. Let's Can we start with your worldview, sort of this idea of causal, the causal realm, energy, and structure? So... Like when you when you look at a, a small child and this and the child's developing something new. So your children crawl around in the living room and then at a certain time, it's like they are hypnotized by somebody that walks around. And they're like like they're kind of internalizing what they see outside because their inside is ready for it. Because people were walking around before too. And that's, by the way, true for our development, too. We are always on fire when we find something new that excites us. But many of these things were around before, too. We just didn't see them. And once something is, is ready in us, like there is energy in us, it's, it's an internal developmental impulse, 
we notice something outside and then that creates like the, the impulse to learn something together inside and outside together are the impulse for growth. And, and then from the moment on the child is practicing getting up, walking a bit, falling down, getting up. So we 3D in a way, we internalize that as a function. So mm-hmm. we actually, the impulse that is energy, what is energy information in movement? But in order to have information, we need a space. So in a way, consciousness is also like a space function. It's the space for a creation, for something to be created. In order to create something, we need a space for it. So there's space, which many people experience in contemplation, meditation, moments when you walk through the forest, when you feel you relax a bit, you're inside, and you have time to reflect, to digest, to integrate, which are very important functions, which in a progress-driven world, we often don't have enough of. And that's why we are we are experiencing a lot of chronic stress. But coming back to the energy, so information in movement, which is energy, builds itself like a pipe system. An inner wiring that that information can be channeled through. And we call that grounding. We call that manifestation. But it's the same when I have a startup idea and I need to create a startup like a company. So the company is also manifestation. It's matter. It's people working. It's a structure, a legal structure, financial structure. And it's the same process. So innovation, actually, what's innovation? I have a great idea. Like I can think it. I, I get excited, which is emotional. I work for it. It's physical. And I turn my idea, I code it into a physical world. Mm-hmm. And so the same process that works that way works the other way in the healing process. When we want to heal something, we turn inner tendencies into lighter and lighter tendencies until they disappear. And we are not expressing those tendencies anymore. And so, yeah, so that's when in the moment information arises, and that's maybe true for the entire universe and the creation of the universe, but it's at least true for us as human beings that learn in this world, also from another, from one another, that impulses need an internal readiness to land, like a fertile ground. Mm-hmm. And, and when that works well, then mentorship works well, then learning works well, then you know, having a life where we update ourselves constantly. And when we update ourselves, we feel happy because we feel we are progressing, expanding, growing. And so when we're talking about collective trauma and group healing, one, my understanding from looking at your work is that there is this sort of this, these mass traumas that perhaps are generations behind us that we can't really, we need group energy to access and process those collectively. Is that the idea? It's like too much work. It wouldn't be possible for one person alone to really make a dent in sort of the energy that needs to be processed. Is that the idea? Of course. It's like, like I can take care of my share. You know, my parents, my grandparents were soldiers in the second world war in Austria. I grew up in Vienna. So we like the Austrian society got hit by the war and and has after effect so i carry that naturally in me through my genetics and epigenetics through the environment that i grew up in through my parents my attachment process so i needed to do and still doing a lot of work to integrate that step by step as i live my life and as i Mm -hmm. grow in my life but on the collective level, if you just take a Holocaust or slavery in the US and racism, these are massive wounds. These are like six millions of people in concentration camps. This is so painful. And I just, what I heard, I heard tiny little bit of the whole. And it's so intense that there is a lot of suppressed, dissociated, split off, fragmented information, what I would say in the collective unconscious, and it's stored there. And it's being kept down by collective defense mechanisms that doesn't, because if all of that information were to arise now, I mean, I think many people would be hospitalized in in mental hospitals because it's so intense because it will, it will, it will burn us. And so, but skillfully as groups coming together and having like an internal process, everybody for him or her themselves 
having an I-Thou process in building relational containers, co-regulative containers, and building we spaces that develop a certain level of coherence or awareness of themselves, of itself. Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful tool. And I would even take it a step further and say, like in a hyper-individualized or individualistic world, individuation has often been mixed up with separation. That's mm-hmm. and in like we are on the planet. And I would say, no, we are the planet too. My body yeah. is the planet. Like nature is alive in me. When we walk through the forest, the forest is not just around us. It's also, or nature is not just around us. It's also through us. And so we mixed a bit individuation where I think individuation is a, is a specific expression. You are a specific expression, but of the whole, you know, you're, you're right. part of the whole. Me too. And we have individual intelligences that we express, but it's not that we are separate from. And that separation, I believe, is a collective trauma symptom, that we live in a world where we experience so much separation. That's the beginning of othering. That's the beginning of racism, anti-Semitism, polarization, and, and so on. And I think when we, in the group healing process, we reversed it and we actually use, I call it I at C, like individual is always an inherent part of the collective. They're never separate. They're always connected. That's why when there are hundreds of thousands of people presencing a process, really with a process, then that's a tremendous acceleration of healing. And I believe some of, not all of it, but some of the one-on-one work is going to move into more collective containers because that's that's a kind of a new wave that I see coming in the healing work in general. And it also has a tremendous power. And we, as a group, let's say hundreds of people, have the power that because through us, some of that suppressed information if it's done skillfully, can emerge as much as we can digest together. Like it's, again, the structure needs to be strong enough to channel the information. So we need to allow part of it to come up, digest it, and integrate it. Because what's, what's integration is something that has been split off in the nervous system, is being reintegrated into the central nervous system, my spine and my brain, and increases my perspective. So it's post traumatic learning. That's why having spaces that have capacity to reflect, digest, and integrate are key to any kind of learning process from the past. Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, Becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started, so it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug, like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets, they also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly. They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day, treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code THREAD at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select podcast in the survey and select 
my show, in the drop-down menu that follows so they know that we sent you. I want to go deep into how the group process works, but before we do that, the very definition of nature, I wanted to pull this up, going to this idea of extreme individuation. And and the way that I see it is we have a culture of rugged individualism, then we have this culture of codependency, and we've never really been taught proper interdependence or what it is like what healthy relating really looks and feels like but the definition of nature itself is the phenomena of the physical world collectively including plants animals the landscape and other features and products of the earth as opposed to humans or human creations in our very definition of nature we don't include humanity which is insane but this is the this is the dictionary definition of nature, that we hold ourselves separate. So I just wanted to flag that. And then I wanted to go a little deeper into, you write, what we think of as destiny is in fact the unintegrated past. And the fragmented, unintegrated past appears always as a false future of repetition, a pre-programmed path along which every individual and every culture sets out until the contents of the past have been brought into the light of consciousness, reconciled, and healed. And so it's that you talk about it, the repetition, Freud's repetition compulsion. But so that's sort of what's at stake for us, right? Like we can't, slavery is not in the past. Genocide in North America of Native people is not in the past. This stuff just will continue to surface until it's metabolized. Is that the right understanding? Amazing. Yes, very much so. That that because I say there's a misconception of history because many people say history is the past. And I would say, no, integrated history, like history that could be integrated into the whole is what has this conversation right now. We, we, we didn't come up with most of the stuff that we are talking about. People before <laughs> us talked about this. I didn't develop a liver or joy or anger. Nobody did. So there are no patents because Humanity developed it or life developed it over a very long period of time. And that biocomputer is sitting here having this conversation. So we are just adding a little bit to humanity's achievement. So integrated history is not the past, it's presence. It has the, the capacity to have this conversation and our relation right now and comprehending parts of the world that are necessary for that. And but split off information, trauma creates split off information, fragmentation in the nervous system that stays as a spinning, circling information that is that is repetitive. So everything that's built on repetitive processes, and many people know this. How often do you have maybe with your intimate partner the same conversation, the same argument over and over again? That's not the future. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> it still exists. But that's not then tomorrow if I have the same conversation with my wife that I had already 10 times. Tomorrow is not no. the future. Tomorrow I drive into the past. And once we get that, we say, wow, society is both emergent processes that are innovative, that are relational, that are warm, compassionate, connected, and disrelated processes that are just repetitive. And those don't live now. And I think if we cannot make that distinction, we are shadow fighting. And I think one place where we see that dramatically is climate change. Like the climate change conversation, I believe, doesn't take enough into account that the frozen past doesn't want to change. And activism can't change trauma. It just creates counter, like a counter movement or a friction. We need to have other tools for that. But that's just one example. But as but you wait, said, say, tell me more, tell me more. Like, what, what do you think that what's baked into that? Is it just, is it fear and guilt and... How would you think about that? Yeah, that the trauma creates three three sets of symptoms. One is hyperactive, a lot of stress. We see there's a yeah. lot of stress. We need to be very fast. And some of it is true. We need to be fast. And some of it is trauma stress. It's exceeding stress, like that burns actually the resources that we use. And people that experienced almost the burnout or burnout know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it literally burns the substance of our body. 
the way we live. That's not sustainable. And, and many people noticed it. So then the other part is fragmentation. It's like a crack in the window when you throw a stone at the window and you see a crack. So that's fragmentation. And the symptom that that creates is that we feel separate. Like you said before, humans are not included in the definition of nature. That's severe because we are, we are, we are biosphere and we're not just looking at the biosphere. So that's one symptom where it arises. And I think it's crucial for the climate change conversation, by the way, the disembodiment that we experience. And the third one is absence. So we shut down part of our nervous system. But so that means where I'm shut down, I can feel you. Where I'm shut down, I don't feel nature. Then I need moral rules to tell me how to behave. If parents mm. don't feel their children, we need rules. What should I do with my child? But if I feel my child, I know what to do. I, it's naturally built in. We were parents for a very long time. And mm -hmm. so the the for the climate change conversation, because I think there are three forces in us. One is the evolutionary drive, that which drives us to move forward as humanity. And that's very exciting because it's connected to updates, to innovation, and we feel good when we are creative. The other part is Habits. We need to create habits like walking is a deeply internalized habit. And it's great that we don't have to learn to walk every day again. So that's a great <laughs> thing. You know, when but some habits become old and they create a tension with evolution. And there's a bit of a tension. So it's painful to open up habits, but it's doable. And that's what activism does really well. Education, push forward, we need to move, we need to change. And in order to change habits in society, that's really great. But what doesn't work well, if the frozenness of trauma, the holding, when you see trauma in the body and in the nervous system, it's holy. It's like, no, 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 no. First of all, it says here in space and time, it's not good for me. Everybody who experiences trauma says being present is not good for me. So being dispersed in the past, in the future, not here, out of my body, retracted in my body is better than feeling that tremendous pain. And, mm -hmm. and the other part is this holding doesn't want to change. It's not safe for me in the world. And if activism comes and, and says, you need to move, you need to move, then that part in us is like ice. And it will be painful to bump against ice. We can't, we can't move it that way. So even if it sometimes sounds paradoxical but for trauma we need to slow down include it create the right containers especially the people that in the culture know how to do that that's their job it doesn't mean that climate scientists don't do their job but we have a multidisciplinary job at the moment and if we push trauma it creates a counter movement or counter pressure if mm. we address it skillfully it will move along, it will melt. That's why I often call it, it's the liquefaction of our world, that our world becomes more liquefied, more fluid, more changeable. And these are exactly the qualities that we need in these uncertain times, in these volatile times, in these fast changing yeah. times. And so is that sort of an explanation for why we're becoming increasingly polarized? It's that activism hitting all of that suppressed sort of dark, darker material that wants to come up and it just causing just everyone to spin out. Yeah, that that when we, because why do we do that? Because we don't feel that we are hitting yeah. trauma. We think we are talking to people, but we're also talking to the trauma in the people. <laughs> and yeah. if I don't feel that, then I'm very enthusiastic about my, whatever I want to change in the world as an activist, which is great. But if I'm not mindful, then I create a counter pressure that, as you say, creates polarization. Because mm -hmm. when when trauma is is frozen and evolution moves on, the space between them becomes more and more tense. And we know this in our own life. If you don't change things that we already feel we should change, or we feel called to change, if you're holding on to our job too long, or to a relationship that is toxic, or to whatever, because we're afraid to change, then it becomes stronger and stronger. And when the, the tension is too big, then we call it crisis because then the yeah. system needs to rebalance itself through a painful process. But there's a conscious version of it too. 
which means we support each other in the change process and we create societies and environments that are actually supportive of change and create safety for change. And we can do that together if we invest in it. We need to invest something and the hyper, you know, the super individualistic culture that we have is, is not supportive of that. If everybody lives in his or her silo, yeah. then we are not we don't create the right compassionate space between us and i think another another place where that shows up that also contributes a lot to the polarization is the way how our social medias hit the collective trauma in the culture and also often yeah. sensational media and it's actually toxic because it triggers a lot of trauma in the culture and then the trauma responses like absence, indifference, and stress, agitation, and fear are just growing. And yeah. that's not a good equilibrium to be in too long. And that's why I often say many of the social media platforms actually need to be collective trauma-informed because that's what I think many of them really struggle with and without knowing that that's what it is. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next Student Visionaries of the Year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at LLS dot org slash students. That's LLS dot org slash students. So clearly, you know, I've done personal trauma work, etc. I, I want to talk to you about this group work as well. But can we process? Can we process? I know we can't process each other's personal trauma. But if enough people are informed about collective trauma and are doing the work to sort of calm our collective nervous system, I guess, or get us more embodied and less disassociated? Is there sort of a tipping point that you can imagine where not everyone needs to do this, but if enough of us are doing it, we can sort of mm -hmm. raise the vibration or get people to a place where they can unclench, really, um, or yes. feel safe enough to... Okay. That's Tell us beautiful. about that. No, you, you said it yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's what I would say too. It's it's great. It's a great summary that that every trauma that gets integrated into the central nervous system stream expands the perspective. If thousand people do that, it expands our perspective too. If millions of people do that, we just grow all the time. I call this bottom-up innovation. It's the learning that we've never had. You know, mm -hmm. we've never had that learning because it was frozen in the eyes. So when we de-ice the ice, learning starts to show up through integration. So that's innovative too. And I believe actually that the ethical learning that we have to have when we deal with the bigger wounds of the past are actually the ethical development that we need in order to deal with AI or with nanotechnology mm. or with genetic engineering. Because if, if the ethical development lags behind the technological development, that's dangerous because that is yeah. opens the door for another re-traumatizing cycle of abuse or misuse. And so healing is not only like a personal well-being factor, it's actually taking responsibility as citizens. I actually think that collective trauma work should be that a society takes care of their legacy of its legacy is should be written in the constitution like mm. for for the states the immigration the civil war slavery and racism the native american genocide and the, maybe all the other wars that happened on the way like these are major impacts that need a skill a collective skill to integrate that and if we don't do that generations will have individual trauma because that's what it causes later on will have all kinds of abuse, all kinds of domestic violence, all kinds of, 
like health issues, physical and mental health issues. So either we hand it over to the next generation or we say, okay, we can do at least our part and it's a citizen's responsibility. And then I believe, yes, we there is a tipping point because the more we liquefy trauma, that information that's being set free becomes creative or creativity. And so not only do we release some of the past and harvest its learning and become wiser, we also liberate a lot of creativity to, to build a different world than the old structures that we have that we see are not functional anymore because it makes us more fluid. And I see that we are in the phase, as you started the conversation, like a lot of stuff is coming up because we see two things. We see that data is accelerating through technology and the data is accelerating in consciousness. In our nervous systems, there's more faster data flowing, not because it's stressed, because we are upgrading the collective coherence. And the more the coherence rises, also the individuals grow within that collective. And that's a, like an, a positive upward spiral. And I think only like that, because often we, because trauma is painful and the symptom of trauma is not to deal with it. You know, I want to get away from it. But actually what we need is relational support to deal with it. And we all have that remedy that we can support each other in the places where it's difficult and professionals can support us when it's complex and difficult. And like that, we create an ecosystem that is healing. And I think we yeah. need many more of these big healing ecosystems in order to go through this transition that we are in right now as humanity. Yeah, yeah trauma is painful, but the catharsis of it is amazing. You know, And I think so often thinking about and I want, I want you to walk us through how you create that collective coherence and build structures and groups for this stuff to come up, which, and the way that people can start to resonate with memories that are not their own, but that they can sort of represent and, and bring up. But also, I think the importance of group trauma therapy is that I think a lot of people are so disassociated. This was my experience when I started doing, and I'm not that particularly traumatized as an individual, but I had no, I didn't realize I'd been disassociated from my body for maybe since the age of eight. So when I was finally sort of re in my body, that alone was like, wow. But I needed to have that experience. And I, this was with MDMA in order for me to even understand somatic experiencing. And then once I understood that, I was like, oh, I can now talk to my body. Like it, I made enough connections where I understood how to do this for myself but I think a lot of people, when you're explaining it to them, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm, But I think w even watching or participating in a group experience would connect people to their ability to sort of put themselves through the car wash and do it for themselves. And that that's another big part that we're missing. So can you take us through how you do this as groups? Yeah, that's beautifully put. And again, like how you summarize it is so lovely. And also... In the trauma healing work, we only find out what we were missing when we find it. <laughs> no, it it's true. You, you yeah. Just, yeah, because you don't know what you don't feel. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of the unconscious. We don't know that it's missing. We see only strange symptoms in our life. And then we ask, why is it like that? And why does this happen all the time again? And why am I not able to respond to that? And why do I get reactive here and triggered? But we don't know what we are missing until it heals. And then we say, wow, life is so much richer <laughs> when I'm in my body than when I'm out of my body. It becomes almost like 2D and in my body is 3D or 4D. Yeah. It's so much richer. And once we get it, then we actually, like yourself, then we become the advocates because we speak from experience. And what does experience do? It, it synchronizes the word and the energy. When mm. you speak about your healing, you transmit it. And that's one way also for the group facilitation, because I think group facilitation needs a deep grounding in the capacity to host a group. When I work with a group, I need to be able to be really dialed in to the group space and be able to feel the movements in it. It's not just me standing there having intellectual knowledge. It's me being able to intellectually be informed, but that, that's combined with my heart, with my body, and it's, it's synchronized. So when I speak, 
that what I say and what's in me is, is the same. That models like a coherent nervous system. And what does that do? It creates trust and it creates like a safe space. So we can only facilitate the group process when we are resting in a safe space in us because that transmits safety into the room. And that's rule number one, I would say, is because the nervous system is very intelligent. It says, I will hold on because as I said before, in the trauma moment or the traumatic moment, what trauma says is here in space and time, it's not good for me because it's overwhelming, painful, abusive, violent, whatever, or neglecting or whatever it is. It's here, it's not good for me. Or here, it was not good for my ancestors. Or here, it wasn't good for a city that has been bombed. Here, it's not good for me, which means trauma disperses energy. It's like in space and time fragmented. That's why we hang out often in the future, in the past, and we can't be fully here in our bodies. But that, so when people try to be present, I often say, it's great that you have a contemplative practice that you want to be more present, but respect the part of you that needed not to be present also, because that's not stupid or a mistake. That's intelligence. To protect ourselves was intelligent. Many people pathologize themselves. Oh, I can do it. Oh, I can't feel my body well. Oh, I can do that. But not feeling myself in an overwhelming moment was the best I could do for myself. Even if I didn't do it consciously, because it happens in fractions of seconds. But like re-owning our defense mechanisms as prior intelligence is a depathologizing way of looking at oneself, of looking at each other, at a group. And, and that allows to create even more safety because our respective nervous system doesn't want to release information, it has a good reason for it. And so when I run groups, I always listen to, okay, what's actually ready? What is safe enough that will come up? And if we create through relating, relating is also co-regulation, one nervous system, I, I feel you feeling me, I feel you feeling me, creates a synchronicity between two nervous systems. They create safety. So we facilitate lots of small group work where people connect in that way, share something maybe about their life, their motivation, why they come here, but in a felt sense. So that creates micro units within a, within a large group of safety. So we build a lot of safety and from a certain level of trust, information wants to detox itself. So we don't even need, even need to induce it because if you do it right, it comes up by itself. Because there is the environment for it. That's why I often say healing is often building the right environment for healing to happen. Even a therapist with a client, the therapist is the environment for the nervous system of the client. The group is an environment. So how we build those ecosystems with the right mm -hmm. small interventions and by being in an organic relationship that is able to, like a surfer, to be with the unfolding of the group. So because if I come with my mental framework, oh, this should happen here, and now we do this, and now we do that, and now we do that. But if the river goes somewhere else, I'm stuck <laughs> as a facilitator. But if I'm in tune with it, I will go with the river because I trust humanities and humans' intelligence. There's always intelligence. Often we don't understand it because it's hurt and because it's covered and it's absenced. But if we, and I think the, the capacity to be really attuned, to be really dialed in, is a whole body function. It's not just an intellectual process. And yeah. if we can provide that, that's a holding space, that's a hosting space for a group. And then the group doesn't just happen outside of myself, it also happens inside myself. It's not just I'm looking at the group. I'm also interdependent with the group and so we are sitting as one space. And so I think then individual and collective detoxing, because life has a self-healing mechanism. It wants to detox trauma, but it doesn't do it if it's not safe or it's potentially re-traumatizing, then the contraction and the holding is stronger than the detoxing. 
but when it when it's allowed and we do it in a skillful way then information comes up often memories even memories from our ancestors or that are in the collective sphere can come up emotions sensations perceptions and and we can feel when we do it right we integrate it as we go along and then you can feel an expansion how and a group can only do so much but a group is thousands of times stronger than an individual and that's yeah. why group healing i think is the next level and the more we learn and master that quality the groups can also grow because we we develop bigger capacities of holding spaces and that accelerates healing and the liquefaction mm-hmm. and i and i have seen groups with hundreds of people or a thousand people and you could hear a needle drop when one pe- person spoke and everybody else was dialed in mm-hmm. it's just a matter and it's so beautiful because we also work with many therapists and we also train many therapists and and many of them say when we work in these large groups the amount of healing that happens in 20 minutes or in one session is so much more than you can do when you meet pers- people one on one in your practice because yeah. the whole group is an a tremendous amplifier in a good sense so it reduces the time that we need and that's why as we go along as humanity every you know every progress we make will adapt a bit the way we do it so that yeah. now we know how it works now we know maybe how it works for now but it means in one year it might be different we don't know because the collective is growing so we need to see again how it works in one or two years yeah and you talked about sort of the intellectual part of this but so much of this is the feeling body right like so much of it doesn't need to be thought out or processed mentally this is a an emotional experience a feeling experience yeah it's of course an emotional experience even I think in our time one because I, I love to display or show collective trauma symptoms because that's the thing that we often say that's how life is and I would say <laughs> no most of it is how life is when it's hurt for example yeah. you can write a phd on attachment trauma but it doesn't mean that your phd is going to heal you you can still be very traumatized and have written a phd maybe it will help you because you have so much access to resources but you need to do your inner work and that's a, a somatic process but we say yeah it's it's true many people read many books about many things self development meditation but we can't walk our talk and then we say yeah that's how it is i know many people like that I say yeah but that's not how it is that's how it is when in the nervous system there's a fragmentation between the mind and the suppression of experience in the body an emotional overwhelm a physical overwhelm a lot of stress in the body that fragmentation we can consume intellectual information that doesn't go in that's why I like the word information it's got in it goes in and down form mention So when I look at you your information your social agency informs me and I have you in me and you have a Thomas in you in your central nervous system and the close you know the clearer those internal what I call the intra existence of each other in each other that creates intimacy mm-hmm. and so when we when we do the healing work my body is a tremendously intelligent biocomputer yours to everybody's body because it's millions of years old and sensing is on the one hand feeling emotions but it's much more than that is sensing life and i think often in a hyper intellectual world and I, i love science and i love intellectual conversations that's all great and it's important because we can do we can build great stuff with it but in order to do trauma healing it's not enough we yeah. need to be embodied in order to hold an embodied space and i would even say we train a lot how to use our own nervous system and we can modulate our nervous system that when a trauma happened to one of my clients at age 2 the trauma is stored at age 2 and i need my nervous system not only to talk to a 40 year old person but to meet the place where the real hurt is stored so i need my body and my all my development to match other people's development in a, in a way that creates 
closeness, intimacy, safety, compassion, love, warmth. And that's a place where we can heal together. And so I think that's a very important question because often we know how it should work, <laughs> but we can't live it. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it's interesting because you think about too the way that we've, so it's like we have Freud, we have Jung, and then we had Reich, right? We had Willem Reich, and then he was abandoned. I mean, he went maybe a little nuts, but his work was so powerful. You know, this idea, amazing. Of, it's amazing for people who don't know him. It was everything where it was, it was somatic experiencing. But if we had, if he had emerged and he was a peer or was Freud one of his mentors, I don't remember, but like this, he was part of that world, but his whole, this was what he did, right? The way the collective, the Venn diagram of the world in our bodies and early trauma, I don't know that they would have explained it that way, but we would right. be farther along. <laughs> That's right. He didn't explain it in the same language, but he explained very important principles. And it's funny that you mentioned it because Reich was a very important course change in my own, because at that time I was still studying medicine in Vienna. And then I, I read the first book of Reich and I said, oh my God, that's so true. Yeah. Like there's, there's a truth in it. And even if he took it maybe too far or in his own life, but the principles he described, I think were very, very powerful and also match a lot of the mystical traditions, the knowledge in mystical traditions and in indigenous traditions, which I think through colonization have been often suppressed yeah. and kind of ridiculed. 100%. And, and I think we need to decolonize the world again in order to harvest what we already know for thousands of years. It's not that we are the first ones coming up with that stuff. I know. But it's, and it's, it's very important to honor like the ancient wisdom that is around for such a long time. And I think that's why I love, you know, we could name it many things, but trauma and collective trauma is a way that speaks the language of our time. And it actually, this neuroscience describes some of the processes that you find represented in some wisdom traditions as well in just other language. And, and I think that's really promising. I woke up at 2 a.m. last night drenched in sweat, throwing bedding off of me. Every pet was also on top of me, which probably didn't help. Many nights, I have the opposite problem, where I'm hunting in the hall closet for extra blankets in the wee hours because I'm freezing. In part, this is because my husband and I have wildly different sleep temperature preferences, and I'm cold because he's left all the sliding doors in our house wide open. But there's actually a solution I've come to learn, and I'm all about a sleep solution because we know how important good, uninterrupted sleep is for every facet of health. Have you heard about Chili Pad by Sleep Me? It's a bed cooling system designed to revolutionize the way you sleep naturally. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. You can also choose a different setting than your partner, so you each get what you need. What I want? a cool mattress with piles of blankets on top. ChiliPad believes sleeping at the optimal temperature helps people naturally reach their highest potential physically and mentally. Visit www.sleep.me thread to get your ChiliPad and save up to $315 with code THREAD. This offer is available exclusively for Pulling the Thread listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash thread because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. What would you call it? I, I, I'm with you. It's sort of code for, and it's a, a shorthand that people now understand. But what do you think that the more accurate description of this is, of this like accessing the shadow and the dark matter and, and mixing it with light? Yeah, I think 
in the spiritual in some of the spiritual tradition the word karma is also used and i mm. think trauma and karma are very similar and what is karma or trauma is postponed experience so what i can mm. process with my computer power in the present moment i need to delay i park it maybe i shut down the part of my nervous system and there it's waiting but it doesn't it's not gone it's just i don't feel it anymore i often say trauma is like you have a TV screen and there is a war scene going on. It's noisy, loud. And then you take the remote control and do click. Mm. And you still see the scene, but without sound. And then you take the entire TV and throw it into the ocean. And then it slowly sinks down into the ocean, but the scene is still playing. And then it disappears in the dark. But down there, there are millions of screens. The Holocaust is millions of screens. The Rwandan genocide, millions of screens still playing, but in the dark of the ocean. That's the collective unconscious. And and so when we when we say postponed experience, but that's not gone. That's what we said before, the repetitive past that keeps repeating. And so in a way, we could say that that presence is the power that has the power to onboard the past and it has the power to receive the future because when do we have a good idea only now even if that now is in three weeks it's now it's in the present moment i receive an insight but i believe when we look a bit deeper most of the human made trauma is actually terrible transgressions so yes, we talk about trauma work, but underneath resolving PTSD and the after effects of trauma and traumatic stress and pain is actually a deeply ethical question. So, and I believe we can't heal trauma without restoring our ethical fabric. And that actually the restoration of ethics is the restart of the self-healing mechanism of the tissue of life, like the mm. tissue of, of the world. And because we see ourselves separate from the biosphere, but the biosphere is one big data network. Yeah. And even saying I'm relating to you is great for this time, but is actually already a bit participating in the symptom because like we are all plugged into the supercomputer that is a data network of a conscious data network. And so we actually data is always here but we are separate in space and time. And so the ethical correction of our ancestors and our ancestors' lives and our culture's lives, I think is a deeper part of how we upgrade the way we live together. Because without mm. that learning, we just repeat the same things. And, yeah. and But if we learn that, then we actually open up our bodies, our emotions. And then emotions are not separate properties, but mutual lands then our body, my body is the land. And I think the more I live in and on the land that my body is, the more I can negotiate the outer land, not fight over it. The yeah. more we are disembodied, the more conflicts we create about land somewhere, <laughs> like external land. So these yeah. are just a few, I know this is such a big topic and I know we, but these are just a few. You had mentioned the work that needs to be done as we think about things like AI, et cetera, this ethical, these ethical values and the, the articulation of them or the weaving of them into this tapestry. And it's true, our technology is way ahead of our evolution. Like we haven't been able to keep up. I mean, it's understandable in some ways, but it is beyond us. Our technology is too powerful for us to manage. And it's we see this clearly, right? And it's getting... <laughs> weirder and stranger by the day, but that we have to figure out how to rise to meet this challenge. Otherwise, I don't know what happens. We shut it all down. I don't know. It's funny too, like people are always talking about saving the planet. It's like, I'm not actually worried about the planet. I'm worried about us. Like to, to again, to go to the same, that these two things are not mutually exclusive. The planet will endure. <laughs> it's unsure. It's unclear whether we will. And yet people, it's that form of othering of focusing instead on, well, she's in trouble. And yes, of course, but like, we're the ones who are 
in complete peril. And four-leggeds <laughs> and birds. And... <laughs> right. And as you said, like, so the, I think what we said before is that the ethical learning that's still frozen in the collective permafrost, if that's missing, we will not only recreate wars like now in Europe, or in other places yeah. on the planet, but we also won't have the inner maturity to handle the technology, but also to develop technology. It both needs maturity and it both yeah. needs wise choices. So we need that ethical learning in order to be wise enough. And then technology and human consciousness are not separate. They're also not separate. You know, they develop as one sphere. But there is an experience separation, and that experience separation is also reducing our way to deal with it, paradoxically. And then we have fears of abusing or misusing it and not knowing how to handle it. And then often those fears become true. And then we say, you see, it was true. It was good that we were afraid. And I would say, no, we were afraid, but no. the issue is somewhere else. It was, <laughs> it was buried in, in our... Because learning is also integrating the past is not just dealing with the past the whole time that's that's the unskillful way of doing it but integrating the data of the past into the stream of data in our central nervous systems is actually updating now because we didn't have those updates yet and that's why certain functions are not fully ripe and mature or the next level would be wise because wisdom is how much of the world I can include in the way I live. Mm. So the more of the world I can include and not other, the wiser I will make my decisions. I will walk in the world. I will talk to you. I will include parts of society that maybe are marginalized, excluded, live in deep inequality resources-wise or in their right place and dignity. And so the more I feel that, I will naturally care, you know, and the yeah. less I feel it, the more I feel distance. I live my life and I can't deal with that now. And I'm not saying we should deal with everything, but we have to deal with the things that life puts in our hands to deal with. And if mm -hmm. we all work together, then it's not just a massive amount of work, then it's the right amount of work for everybody. Mm -hmm. And maybe the last thing that fits to this is also that in our capitalistic worldview, Sometimes we see purpose as career, but in the mystical understanding of purpose, the part, like you said before, you did your own trauma work, that's also purpose development mm -hmm. because part of our purpose is integrating the portion of the past that is in our life. And part of the purpose is our contribution to society or life. But it's not that only the career part is part of our purpose, all of it is our purpose yeah. and that's why the difficult like our healing work is not just taking care of the difficulties until we get to our purpose <laughs> but doing our taking care of the challenging parts in us is as much our path as is all the great stuff that we bring into the world and i think that's very important because we're not waiting to get there we're already going you know we're already yeah. walking totally yeah, and even as you just did, exchanging the word purpose for contribution as this ongoing, an ongoing effort. Effort sounds too effortful, but that we're living it. It's not, it's not a finite fixed idea about what we're here to do. It is this ongoing contribution. I love that. Exactly, exactly. Wow. Hopefully you could feel it in your body, but Thomas has an incredible energy and knows how to build resonance and coherence, I think, probably in every interaction that he has, which is how he's able to hold the space for so many people to process collectively. And if you've never done group work, I'm, I'm dying to do a Thomas workshop and going to figure out how to do that. But group work, meditations, etc., can be so powerful, even when you think that you want that individual attention, but to have to be able to feel everyone else's energy, I think is is really, really moving. And I think if we each do our own part, 
and then maybe a little bit of extra for those who aren't yet equipped, we can start to really turn this to start to metabolize this material. So he writes, like truth, shadow always outs. Suppressed energy doesn't go away and even dark or disowned energy cannot be destroyed. It needs to move, to become, to transmute. It must find an expression. In this way, unconscious material rises again and again to the surface, seeking to be met, detoxed, and clarified. Until trauma has been acknowledged, felt, and released, it will be experienced from without in the form of repetition compulsion and projection from within as tension and contraction, reduction of life, flow, illness, or disease. So we all have to get moving to thaw, to become liquid. And I think that's where our greatest inventions and the font of our creativity will emerge. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at theelisepodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter. I promise I won't spam you. Or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunan to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, i.e. wherever you're listening right now. I also want to thank you in advance for sharing any episodes with friends you think might like the show because that is how podcasts grow. I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Serena Reagan, Mary-Kate McDonough, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week.